welcome to Stationery Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey Stu, how's life with you this week? Um, how's life? Yeah, it's all right. I've been a bit busy, which I suppose is good. Um, I've been sort of sweating away on my MBA stuff today, uh, and it's really hot here, so... Um, I sort of work away in my office and then I step outside and go, oh, it's very warm. Uh, and go for a swim, which is, well, I suppose things could be worse, couldn't they? What about Canada? How are things up there? I'm a little bit worried you might be on fire. No, uh, you mentioned that just as we were talking before we started. And uh, nope, I'm fine. There's no, well, there's two fires within 50 kilometers of me, but nothing that is threatening my life, which is a good thing. Uh, the rest of Canada, though, is kind of falling apart. I was just looking at some of the fires in my province and, you know, they're getting up to 500,000 hectares here, 500,000 there. Nothing wrong, Stu. It's just normal. Okay. Global warming. Mm. Yes. Uh, hopefully nobody is affected by those or the smoke or all the stuff. It's icky. And it's still early in the season. It's only just the beginning of July. What will this year bring? Mm, indeed. How about you guys? You getting any uh, fires still early for you? Or yeah, it's still early season for us. So um, I think there have been one or two. Um, I mean, five hundred thousand hectares would be well, many times larger than the island. So I hope we don't get one of those. Um, but now I've seen some helicopters up with the buckets, but uh, not very frequently. But it's only really the last, I suppose, week or two that it started getting really hot here. So. Uh, I would expect fires to kick off this month and next. Well, let's hope, uh, like me, you kind of get to watch the the buckets fly by and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that would be ideal. Do you carry a bag or uh, a go kit ready just in case? Uh, no, don't have a go kit ready. Um, I mean, the things most important to me are uh, the current Mrs. Lennon. I can generally find her. Don't need to put her in a bag. Uh, and the dogs. Um, other than that, there's nothing really that I couldn't replace, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I did for a while, uh, think about having a go bag and I'd leave my passports and uh, that the problem is that I need them too intermittently, you know, for, for other things. And so I just end up taking everything out of the go bag, thereby negating the point of the go bag. So, uh, I think I'm just going for a controlled panic, mm. um, 15 minutes and I can have everything I need. I'm pretty sure I've got a list. How's that? a checklist yeah, that's kind of what i'm working on this year at least um i mean we've got a little bit of an advantage in the fact that i can just pick up and go and i don't have to worry about where i'm going but uh yeah i don't know it makes you think doesn't it when you see so much on fire so early in the season mm, yeah and again i mean for us i'm on a small island so um i head south and at about sort of 12 minutes i hit the sea so um, just follow the coast until it's not burning anymore, I suppose would be the obvious thing to do. Or keep swimming until it's not burning. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that good a swimmer, Justin, but yes, that would also work. <laughs> All right, uh, you've got a question. Let's talk about it. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, a friend of mine, um, you know, one of those digital friends of mine, uh, we did uh, a course together. We did the um, the focus course uh, the, from the Blanc Academy or what is that the Focus Academy? Focus Academy uh, from Sean Blanc's uh, outfit. Um, and 
he dropped me a note the other day saying that he was kind of thinking of sort of getting into fountain pens. He'd he'd had a bit of a try, but not really got anywhere. And, you know, would I help him out? Would I sort of you know, give him a little bit of a guided talk? Because um, he knows that. <laughs> yeah, dude. He knows that I have Nero's. Um, he knows that I'm mad about pens and obviously he's listened to the, the podcast. So um I, I of course said yes. Um and we've we've gently, gently started. So his position uh is that he bought himself a couple of safaris, uh, and that was it. So he'd written with them and gone, okay, so yeah, that makes lines on paper. Mm-hmm. Um wasn't quite sure where to go next. You know, do do you clean them? How do you clean them? Um what are these ink bottles? How do you make those work? You know, all of that sort of stuff, a very, a very sort of baseline approach to how do I get into fountain pens? Um, so I thought, well, I'd throw the question over to you and of course, to anybody listening. Um, what should we do with him first? Well, my personal opinion is uh, once those uh, Lamy safaris are done with the ink cartridges, you just throw them out and get yourself a nice pen. <laughs> Um, no, I, I know a lot of people like the Safari. It's just never clicked with me. I believe that uh, the pen itself is far too opinionated with that grip. Uh, I think Lamy nibs are questionable. Um, and quite often the Lamy ink that is, is often dry don't necessarily make the best writing experience. You're not necessarily going to get that flow. Um, I would generally, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, I would kind of get an idea to ask a bunch of questions, what nib sizes they prefer, whether they're lefty or righty, uh, how hard or soft they write. Uh, my wife is one of those people that leaves gouges in the tables below whatever she's been writing on. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's just, it's horrific as a fountain pen user to know that I will never let lend her a fountain pen because that nib would be sprung in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would also ask whether they prefer a posted or non-posting pen. Uh, do they put the cap on it? Uh, do they prefer it heavy or light, which really goes along with the posting or non-posting and sort of what budget they're looking at as well. Sure. Um, you know, they've got the Safari, uh, the Safari again, one of the things I hate about it it doesn't necessarily come with a cartridge converter. You have to pay extra for it. Yeah, what what we've done so far um, is I've asked a few of those questions, um, just trying to get an understanding of what he's looking for. His name's Darren, by the way. Hey, Darren. Um, just trying to understand what uh, he's looking for from a fountain pen, why he wants to use a fountain pen, um, and getting... Uh, you know, some of those writing style sort of pointers that, that you and I look for. So um, I believe he's a righty, but I haven't checked. Um, he writes, uh, he doesn't write cursive. Um, it's mostly sort of small block. Uh, he's on the the dark side of nibs. Uh, like you, he, he wants basically a fork that you can dip into ink. Um, so I'll, I'll clearly I'll talk about it, all that sort of nonsense, um, but that's where he is at the moment. So what we've done at the moment is we he's got himself a converter for the Safari, mm -hmm. uh, and he's he's picked up a little bit of uh, uh, proper ink, if you if you like loose ink, bottled ink. Um, and do we know what brand of ink he has? We don't know yet. I did give him some pointers. I don't know what he actually got. I I recommended he pick himself up a couple of di diamines um, because it's 
you know, very, very good value for money in the UK. Um, and he's in the UK. So um, he's having a go at just cleaning the pens out. We we sort of went through a basic tutorial, or basic, I sent him a little note of how I clean my fountain pens, which is the lazy man option, um, and generally involves putting them in a glass of water and then going away. Um, and then when I come back, the pens are clean. Oh, Stu, 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 oh, this, this podcast will be over. You do what? <laughs> for a for a cheap uh ink pen i take the the nib unit out and i put the nib unit in some water and i let the water soak through it and then i will come back to it and i'll flush through normally that's enough for me but i've got the impression that his um his were a little clogged so we may need to go a little bit further than that but that's where i start um i'm not a great believer in buying 135 solutions and mucking about it's to, to me, that's far too much like hard work. Mm. You're talking to the wrong person, my friend. <laughs> well, I knew you'd have all the solutions. In fact, you've probably got a collection of solutions, haven't you? Mine, mine are actually quite simple. Um, cleaning the pen. Well, the best thing to you get for one of those, I have a, I think it's actually a shot glass, an old shot glass that I use uh, just to collect a little bit of water in. Um, I use a... Uh, mesh filter in your drain of your sink first and most important thing because at some point you will drop something and you do not want it to go down into the u-bend believe me um i don't disassemble nibs unless there's a real problem with that oh no me neither um, no, no, no. so i leave everything in the pen and basically i just flush through the pen first thing i'll do is uh, just put some running water onto the nib uh, that will clean out a lot of things that are dried and gunky. Uh, I'll remove, mm -hmm. if I can, you know, depends on what pen it is. A Safari is a fairly simple one. Um, you yeah. pop out the ink cartridge. Um, what I do is I'll take a, what do they call them? Bulb syringes. Um, the things that you, if you had children, uh, you stick up a child's nose and pull out all their snot. The snot clogger, I think it's called, or declogger, or whatever. Uh, but basically, you get it from your pharmacy. Up here, they're about 10 bucks. Uh, you trim trim it back so it fits inside the same um, neck as the cartridge. You fill it up with water, and you just send it through. And what that will do is you will put water from the cartridge through the nib, through the feed, uh, and it will pour into your sink. And you do several goings on of that. You rinse uh, the, the nib under the water quick and easy, and that will clean everything as quickly as possible. Uh, then I turn around, and if I've got a cartridge converter particularly, that will also get full of ink. Uh, I've got a blunt nose syringe used for refilling... I think these ones I got on Amazon, they're used for refilling um, inkjet printer cartridges. Um, I just put up some some of that same water into there and squirt it in, uh, starting at the back, squirting down, cleans everything out. Bob's your uncle, you let it dry on a piece of paper towel, and there you go. Sure. And generally, you're not going to get any mess anywhere. So I, I would do the same without the, the little um, nose picker or whatever you call it. So I would hold the 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 nib unit under the tap and let the tap 
water flow through the same way as the ink flows through. And as you say, that generally clears anything. Um, if you've got something that's really, really stuck and you've been using, you know, um, shimmer inks and, you know, all that sort of good, we're, we're nowhere near that stage yet. Um, I'm just trying to get him sort of comfortable with the parts of the pen um, and just just realize that, you know, assuming that you handle them reasonably carefully and good point, have a mesh over your sink, um, then, you know, it, it's pretty difficult to, to damage uh, a fountain pen with, with water. Um, if you start throwing all sorts of weird substances at it, then you have to be a little bit more careful. Mm -hmm. If it is completely clogged, if it's a far, safari, I'm guessing it's relatively new, so that should work. You can uh, buy, I would probably recommend buying rather than trying to make it up for your first fountain pen, but you can make up a, a sort of a, a mild bleach solution as well that you could use. Uh, I do like the bulb syringe. If you're going to get into fountain pens, I do recommend one. The reason for that, you're forcing water under pressure, which you don't get just from holding in a tap. And if you do have anything that's a little bit clogged, it's going to move it a little quicker and easier. But, you know, I'm I'm lazy. I'll throw a few bucks at something to avoid having to mess around with it. I'm going to start calling you Inspector Gadget, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say, Stu? I got all the toys. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so yeah that's that's where we are and you know we're gonna jump on a call and um you know i'll take him through some some of those sort of pen choices and as you say get an idea of 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 where he wants to go um you you, you reminded me of a very good question about hard or soft writer because i think most people um are sort of by default now hard writers because they're used to um you know, trying to make a trying to make a biro work that hasn't been used for a while. Um, you know, just pushing down really hard on a rollable uh, or a gel. Um, I think people's touch has probably got a little bit harder with the sort of disappearance of fountain pens from schools. So uh, that's a good point. Um, as it is, you know, he's starting a Safari, which is, you know, it's not exactly the softest of nibs, or <laughs> it's harder than most fork tines that I own anyway. Um, so. It doesn't really matter, but if he wants to go up to some softer um, Japanese type nibs, then he's gonna he's gonna need a lighter touch. So that'd be a good thing to discuss. Yeah. So is he looking for another pen, or is he just gonna stay and use his Safari for a little bit? I th I think he's probably looking to to move up. Um, I, I I'm I get the impression that he wants uh, a sort of um, a grounding in the hobby and and how to make it work and how to cope with things, which is is you know we can we can experiment on his uh, safari I think because you can you know you can actually take and throw away and get another one, um, and and when he's feeling more comfortable and we've got a clearer idea of what sort of thing is going to suit him, then as you say we can start pointing him in directions and you've got some some ideas on some good choices haven't you? Well, I was thinking about it just because I'm I'm opinionated, um, and I. No, you, Justin? Surely not. One of the problems I have with a lot of fountain pens is getting into them. You have those wonderful things called a Yovo nib, mm -hmm. and they can be so hit and miss. Sure. I really want to steer people away from anything that is going to be, well, a crap experience. Uh, which is why I would never steer anybody to a safari. What you want from your first pen is something that 
just works. It writes nicely. It's not finicky. There's no messing around with having to shake it to get through, you know, to get then the ink to flow. You just want something that out of the box, you're going to be able to sit down and you're going to write. And that writing experience is going to be the thing that is going to get you to fall in love with it. Now, of course, like you, one of my beginning choices is a Mont Blanc because, um, you know, the writing experience, as much as you pay for the name, mm -hmm. is just fantastic. It's going to give you that. You're going to sit down and you're going to feel important, even if you're just writing a grocery list. However, those would not be the choice that I would recommend for, well, most sane people outside of you and I, Stu. Um, the one, a few of them that I was kind of thinking of when we were having this... Uh, this question presented, and I thought about this, uh, the Faber-Castell Grip 2001 fountain pen. I'm not sure if you've ever used one of these, Stu. Uh, I have, yep. Yeah. They're nice pens. Nice pens. The, ni uh, the nib on it, coming from Faber-Castell, just a little bit nicer than you get, in my opinion, in the same kind of priced Safari. It's a cartridge converter. It's a plastic, so it's a light pen. Uh, so you're going to run into no problems with the pen being too heavy. Um, and it's it's easy to use. You can use cartridges if you want it as well. The Twisby Echo. I think everybody has to have at least a couple of these in their collection. <laughs> you need to have a couple just to make sure you get one that works. Yeah, I I actually prefer the the 580. But the 580 is bigger, it's uh -huh. heavier. Sure. Um, the the Twisby is a good, you want something a little more than a Safari, um, but you don't want to spend a lot. You don't invest a lot into it. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate for a, a lot of people, maybe not our listeners, but a lot of people spending $30 on a pen is uh, absolutely crazy. You know, who would do such a thing? They are free. Um, you know, I, I was in Costco last night and uh, I was walking past packs and packs of, you know, 50 pens for like $10. So, you know, anybody looking at this and say $30 for one pen, it doesn't even come with ink. Uh, so the Twisby Echo is piston filler, uh, which, and it's clear, which means that you get to see your ink sloshing around, which... If you've never written with one of those, it's just one of the coolest things ever. You can see your ink as you write. Uh, and for a starter person that is dealing with um, new things, that's just really fun. Uh, the disadvantage is it is a piston filler, which means you have to fill it from a bottle. And that may be above most people's interest level at the first part. Um, my preference for things that just seem to work uh, is Japanese. The Pilot Prera is a wonderful little pen it's a little steel nib but uh, it it's it's a japanese one which means it's going to work right out of the box and if your friend is into finer nibs i think you get away very nicely with that or the a little bit cheaper platinum plaisir plaisir however you say that uh fountain pen mm -hmm. uh, which is you know it's it's not the most exciting of pens but it does the job quite nicely and it has i think a much better nip than the lamy um and also you can get it in probably a fine i think i wouldn't go extra fine japanese extra fine is still an acquired taste i would start 
uh, your friend on, on a fine Japanese, uh, that will be more than fine enough for anybody that likes a thin, uh, a thin dime, a thin tined nib, if I can say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, all good choices. Um, a lot depend on, on our next conversation. Uh, so, you know, I know he's got a, a preference towards fine, um, you know, rights in block capitals, but I don't know whether that's something he wants to to continue or whether he actually wants to explore, um, you know, some calligraphy and stuff, which will obviously change the, the direction we headed a little. Um, but I think, you know, probably the next step is to go, now that we have the converter for the Safari, we can do some basics around that, get an idea of how to fill a pen, um, you know, how it works, get used to the idea that your fingers are going to be permanently covered in ink. Um, and then... Uh, you know, look at a little step up from that. So um, the Twisby is always a good shout um, because, as you say, you can see they're all demonstrators. So you can see the mechanisms. You can see how it works. And mostly they're reliable. Um, the nibs, are, they're not my favorite thing, but they're, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, and they're certainly better than the Safari. Um, and then, yeah, just really get an idea of direction. Do we want to go finer? Do we want to go broader? Do we want to stay where we are? Do we, do we want to be wet? Do we want to be soft? You know, those types of questions, um, just to get an idea of, of which direction to head. And generally speaking, I think what happens is the penny drops and, uh, and the student runs off and spends way too much money way too quickly. So, um, again, a lot depends on, on budget. You know, for me, the, the, the Twisby Echo is a lovely little pen and it's essentially the cheap version of a Pelican M200. And that's, that's where I, I mean, you can get a Pelican 200 for about $120, something like that. Um, depending on, on where you get it and which one you get. Um, and I think those are cracking reliable pens. Very small though. Very, very small. You've got to be comfortable with somebody that's writing that. They are small. They are pocket pens. Yeah, the, these are you know the ones I was kind of looking at. I consider things like that, but I think you've got yeah. to have one in your hand and test it, mm. and write sure. with it for ten minutes before you actually decide if it works for you. I have some. I just find they're too small for me. Yeah, no, I, I like the I like the Pelican two uh, hundreds uh, or two hundreds or two hundred five is my preference, but um, that's because I like silver more than gold on the trims. But um, these are all good good shouts. And what I'll probably try and do is get Darren to to mosey along to the London Pen Show. Um, I mean, I won't be there, but um, th there are some people there that I can point him to. Uh, and there's a lot of pens that you can try, which, as you say, is there's no substitute for having it in your hand and writing something. And think, oh, I quite like this. Or, oh, no, I don't like that. Because right now you say to somebody, do you like a heavy pen or a light pen? Um, and you've no real idea what they're comparing to when they answer. So, um, you know, it needs to be, something that's tested in real life. I think, mm -hmm. I think your ink choice of diamine is a good one. Uh, remind him to stay away from the shimmery stuff that diamine has. Oh yeah, I have done that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and some of the, the, the uh, shadings, they've got, they've got some really neat stuff yeah. out there. I'm thinking absinthe, but as soon as you start out of any of the traditional inks, they tend to get a little bit drier. Um, a, a yeah. nice wet ink, uh, Daimene is a good choice and certainly for someone in England. Uh, I always will recommend the standard Mont Blanc inks. I think they're excellent mm -hmm. uh, bang for the buck and are going to give you amazing performance no matter what uh, what line of pen you try it in. 
again, you're looking for something f that you can fall in love with. Um, yeah, so I, I would stay away from some of the smaller makers. Definitely stay away from that Lamy ink because that's just, well, it's it's not the best experience. Not always, anyway. More on that later, in fact. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or thoughts or anything you want to pass along to Darren. Cool. All right, I got some follow-up. Go on, hit me with it. What's been going on in the world of Twifer? I got a new Apple Watch. Oh. <gasps> Ta-da. Uh, man, FedEx sucks. They shipped this from Texas, I think it was, by FedEx. Uh, so we had a long weekend on this weekend. Uh, July 1st is Canada Day. July 4th, of course, is the American uh, 4th of July Independence Day celebrations. Um, yes, that was one you Brits lost, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a long weekend come up and... Uh, you know, as as want uh, will do on a long weekend when we are free to do whatever we want, we decided we were going camping. Beautiful. We stayed at a, a winery in the middle of farmland about an hour south of us. It was absolutely lovely. Uh, some great wines. You would love them, Stu. Oh, you would have loved those wines. Uh, but we, we stayed there overnight, and I got this email from FedEx Say, by the way, we're showing up on Monday. And Monday here is the observed stat. Um, so, A, I wasn't going to be home. Uh, two phone calls, because the first time the rep cut me off, um, I got, how do you say this? A call center, I'm not sure where, mm -hmm. that I had a very hard time communicating with. Sure. Um, this email and text message and everything else that FedEx does says this thing is going to be here Monday morning. And I said, well, I'm not going to be home. What are my choices? Uh, and basically I was told, well, it's not going to be here. I said, yes, but your email says it's going to be here. Is this incorrect? When is it going to be here? Oh, but we won't be, we may not be here on Monday. And it was just this, I had no idea whether I was going to come back home and get the, the note on the door and have to drive a couple of hours to deal with this because they drop it in the big city. It's an hour away. Uh, so I was, I was a little frustrated with it. Um, they decided that despite what their email said, they were going to deliver it the next day, which was what it was supposed to be in the first place. But my gosh, what a frustrating. Um, the watch itself, mm -hmm. switchover tool was fantastic. Oh, good. Um, you scan one from the other. It says, hey, you already have one of these. Would you like to transfer everything? And you say yes, and it says, oh, you have a, a, a cellular plan on this. Would you like to transfer your cellular plan from your old watch to your new one? And I said yes, and it went away and thought about it for 10, 15 minutes, and then it was done. Um, I didn't have to call my telco, which I don't know if your uh, telcos are the same. They are a pain in the butt to deal with, kind of like dealing with FedEx. Mm. Um, the watch, I put it on one evening. I, I got this on Tuesday, put it on Tuesday night. It was fine. Wednesday morning, I had a couple of issues, but I think I didn't have it quite on my wrist in the right place. Uh, I moved it and it was okay. fine. And then we went out for dinner last night and they said, well, I've got this brand new spanking clean watch. I don't want to wear it. I want to wear a nice analog watch. So there we go. Uh, date night analog watch. So We'll see. Um, I got to go through the process of mailing the other one back. But uh, 
yeah, it's uh, so far it was good. I've got good things to say about Apple support. They knew that I had the watch. They called me yesterday to see how it was going. Um, gave me instructions if uh, I have any concerns, how to get back in touch with them. Really impressive. Um, for the kind of money that you're paying. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Cool. Well, that sounds, sounds pretty good. New watch, on rest, working. Fabulous. For the most part. We'll see. I'm, I'm not 100% yet. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, all right. The jury is still out. I accept. I, I sat in my office. I didn't go out. I, you know, when you're at home and you're not active and you're not walking, the watch really isn't moving apart from, from keyboard to trackpad. It, it It's not really the best real life um, experience of whether it's going to stop uh, talking to your wrist or not. So we'll see. Promising, though. All right. Okay. All right. What's your tool of the week, Stu? Uh, what's my tool of the week? Well, Mrs. L, really. Um, uh, school's out for summer. Mrs. L is not a tool. We we did not mean that at all that way. <laughs> That's not quite how I said it. Um, but uh, she's uh, off school for summer. She's preparing now for Sicily. She goes, as we record, she goes in a few days, um, beginning of next week. Um, and, uh, well, since finishing, she's had a load of things that she wanted to get done, which I guess is normal. And she then had a cortisone injection into the base of her back. So just sort of around the spine, they, they do it under a CT scanner. Cause if you, if you get that jab wrong, the consequences are fatal. Um, so that means that for a few days she can't lift. So you sort of combine the fact that she wants to get a load of things done, but she can't actually do anything. Um, it kind of means that I'm doing a lot of stuff, um, which is, you know, fine. It's okay. I'm, I'm in the fortunate position that I can just move things around. But as always with these things, you know, get disrupted and then your routine goes and you forget things. And ah, um, But uh, yes, she'll go and then I will have two weeks of no disruption at all. And obviously I'll miss her terribly, um, but hopefully I'll get everything back on track then. What about you? I, I, I'm intrigued by your tool of the week. In fact, I'm going to open the link while you mm. talk about it. So I was asking about apps for Pomodoro timers last week. And I was doing some online research, as one does. And I found this thing called a Tick Time Pomodoro Timer. Um, it is a little hexagonal tube, for want of a better word for it with uh, a little LED and a couple of buttons on it. Um, and around the outside of it, so six sides to it, it has numbers um, and they are times. So it has 30, 25, 15, three, five, and 10. And basically what one does is one turns it over and puts it with, let's say 25 up facing up. You put it on your desk and it starts a countdown of 25. Uh, at the end of 25, you can see on the front, it'll show you the countdown going. At the end of 25, it beeps. You turn it over, you put it to five or 15 if you want a longer break. Um, and you could just track Pomodoros very quickly, very easily, very discreet. The whole thing is about an inch and a half long and maybe about the same, uh, maybe just over an inch uh, in diameter. It's subtle, it's tactile, I touch it, I don't have to play with anything else. You can move it real quick and easy. 
And for Pomodoros, it's actually been really good. Um, the beep is a little annoying, but uh, you can't really change that. You can just turn, change the volume of it. So I'm not sure if you're working with coworkers, if they're going to enjoy a beep, 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 beep at the end of every 25 or five minute session. But uh, for getting some Pomodoros done, it, it's doing the job that I was hoping it would do. Cool. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the link. It looks, it looks like a lovely little thing. And you can stick it to the fridge and everything. I haven't tried that part, but I guess I could try. Nope. Um, don't know. No. Uh, I was trying to put it to the base of my um, monitor, but I'm not sure if which one of these is not magnetic. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, they 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 assert it works on a fridge. So there's your homework for next week. <laughs> I have a stainless steel fridge. I don't think anything sticks to it. But. Oh, I'll give it a try. <laughs> that's okay. I don't. Wor I don't work in my fridge, so uh, in my uh, kitchen, so that's fine. Fair point. Um, I think it's you know, in case you wanted to use it, you know, time your eggs, for example. Uh, yes, because that's something I do a lot of. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's pretty neat. Um, you know, it just lives on my desk. It's a little small thing, um, and it's just really helped me. And then what I do on my analog card. I just make a little tick mark when I've done a Pomodoro, just so I kind of have an idea of how many I'm doing in a day. So it's it's cool. very, very simple. Um, so for your tasks, are you setting a task as in you want to complete something or are you setting a task saying, I want to do a Pomodoro on it and see how far I get? I want to do a Pomodoro on it and not touch anything else. So, um, okay. you know, if, if a Slack message comes in or some a phone call comes in, I will complete the Pomodoro before I get distracted. Um, and that's kind of the goal out of it. It's not really trying to be um, discreet as far as my tasks go, trying to figure out whether I'm going to do this in 25 minutes. It's just more, I'm going to set aside 25 distraction free. I'm not going to get up and go to the bathroom or go get a cup of coffee or, you know, any of those little things that you can suddenly decide you're trying to do. So it's just a little bit of a discipline again, you know, giving myself a little bit of a reason to sit down and, and work harder. Um, and it's, it's working exactly as I hoped it would. The flexibility of I control the time. So I don't need to necessarily flip on for every break. You know, if I've done a couple of Pomodoros in a row, you know, and my, my work isn't pressing. I've finished what I'm doing. Uh, maybe I can, I could take a few minute break. I could do some other admin stuff and then I'll get back and do another Pomodoro. Um, I'm not been religious about it, but the fact that I'm putting that focus on 25 minutes before I do anything else, uh, even avoiding those little red things that pop up and say, you have, um, particularly Slack. Slack is the one that, uh, I don't have any notifications, so it just, that little red bubble kind of annoys me, and I'm trying to be very, very good for not checking it for the 25 minutes. Um, and unfortunately, you know, kind of the nature of the business I'm in, people do like to use that, and I think that's the one thing that can quickly sidetrack, you know, people, people need an answer right away. Well, do they really? Can they wait 25 minutes? Most cases they can. You know, it's not even going to be a necessary 25 minutes. On average, it'll be, what, 12 and a half minutes? Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's it's working for me. It's, uh, you know, in the typical Justin fashion, you have a problem 
throw some money at it. Uh, this was, I think, about 60 bucks off Amazon. Uh, I could have bought it for the States probably for a few dollars cheaper, but it would have taken a month to get here, and you, you know what that's all about. Um, I have a problem. I've got an itch. Uh, the solutions that I had on hand, which were phone apps or computer apps, were not as satisfactory as I would have liked, so this solved my problem. And so far, you know, I only got it uh, earlier this week, but I've been playing with it and it's working well. Great. Well, that's what we like. Something works. All right. What are you using for your pen and ink of the week, Stu? Uh, oh, well, this is the callback to earlier in the show. Um, I'm using my Sailor Pro Gear Professional, the uh, Sunset Over Blue Ocean, um, which is lovely. Very nice pen. And I put some Lamy Obsidian in it. Um, and, oh, heavens, is all Lamy ink this dry? I know the answer to that question from our previous conversation. Actually, the crystal ink is the wetter out of the Lamy inks, believe it or not. Oh, I just, I, it's not wet enough. I'm sorry, I find it tiresome. Um, it's all right. It, it's it, it's okay. Um, but I've, I've come to the decision that life is too short for okay. So... Uh, yeah, the the Lamy the Lamy Obsidian Crystal uh, is going in the trash, um, and I will be reverting to a different ink once this pen is empty. But um, I just find it um, it sort of takes away the character of writing with the pen. The pen seems to sort of struggle to express itself if that's not too abstract. Certainly is, and that it's it's certainly not abstract. It's certainly uh, what I was calling back to with my dislike of the Lamy Safari. Mm. It does a job. It writes, but it's a ballpoint pen with a funny nib. <laughs> like it, it, it doesn't inspire you the way that a good fountain pen should. You know that feel, that that flow. No matter what you do, that I think is what we all fall in love with with fountain pens. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, and it's just it was just disappointing. So I will change it out. I'll probably I'll probably flush it if I. If I'm avoiding some work tomorrow, I'll go clean a pen. <laughs> what about you? What are you using this week? Well, I'm still on the Retro 51, but uh, I realized that I was out of refills. Um, the standard Retro 51 comes with a thicker black uh, refill in it. And the stock black is, well, it's A, black, and B, too thick. Um, I like the blue... 8126, which is the finer of the refills for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I like the blue ink. I'm not a fan of the black ink. So uh, I, I went on to Amazon, my favorite place. I've been spending a lot. Uh, Richard has been delivering nicely to me, uh, my driver. Yes, I know his name. Um, so yeah, he dropped off some. I switched those out and wow, it just makes such a difference to get. We're back to the same thing with your Lamy inks too. Um, a writing experience, a thinner line and the blue, it just changes that whole dynamic of, of my Raven pen that I was using last week. So if you, I guess the, the moral out of that for, if you, if you don't love it, change it. Yep. All right, Stu, our topic for this week. I'm not sure I'm ready for this with you again. <laughs> the future of computing. You and I, I know, disagree about some of the the latest things that are coming out, but I thought there were a couple of areas uh, that we should really think about. One of them is these huge developments recently, uh, and when we put this into our uh, show notes, I think was the idea behind it. 
how these large language models are changing computing and jobs and all the rest of it. And then there's this new thing that came out a couple of weeks ago that we have not yet mentioned or argued about on the podcast. Hmm. The release of spatial computing. The Apple VR headset thing. All right, Stu, I know you have thoughts on that. Do you want to start there? Uh, yeah, we can do. I mean, I think you're you're right about machine learning and, and AI. That's um, that's hugely important too. Although I, I'd probably argue it's not as important as some of the more alarmist claims make it out to be. Um, now, I think spatial computing is, um, you know, if, if people haven't been, been paying attention, it's the Apple Vision Pro that they debuted at WWDC. Um, and I think is going to come out sometime next year. I think is the the first one. It's it's vastly overpriced. It's overmarketed, and I think you know a lot of it um, won't work very well. So it will only work in very um, explicit circumstances. However, I think it is a little. It's a little peak uh, at what computing is going to be. What everyday computing will be for most people in a period whether that's five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, who knows? Um, I suspect we will see some sort of curve, much like um, the the iPad or the iPhone, where slowly, slowly it will become more accessible, it will become more useful, and more and more people will start using them. And of course, it will be you know, in a competitive marketplace. There'll be plenty of other things. Um, and that sort of competitive marketplace will fragment. So... If you're really into the gaming side of AR and VR, there will be specific tools for that, much like there are gaming PCs now. Um, but if you're more sort of mainstream, but tech interested, tech curious, then I think Apple is likely to be um, at the front of the of the drive towards getting everybody wearing super duper. Uh, glasses that do super duper things and allow you to essentially superimpose artificial imagery uh, into your actual world or to completely replace your actual world, so to put you in into virtual reality. Um, I think all of that's going to happen, um, whether it's good or it's bad. I, I don't think it's, it's either. Um, it, it is just simply another way of computing. Um, I'm sure there'll be some amazing immersive experiences. Um, if you go to places like Disney, I suppose you can already experience these to a certain extent. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just interested. I, I know you're quite skeptical as to how it will actually impact us. And I think you're right in that there are few people giving concrete examples of how this is going to, to change the world. I get the impression it will be another nail in the coffin of offices um, and of the commute. Um, I think it will have huge impact on the way that we shop. Um, I think the way that we meet, um, and I'm still not convinced that any of these things are necessarily universally good, but um, as these things become standard issue and we all have them, then that's how conferences are going to happen. That's how conference calls are going to happen. Sure, there'll still be a place for human interaction. I, I don't, I don't dispute that. But I think that we will find 
the advantages that these bring will uh, will be huge. And they're just like you've seen WDC change the way it works and become much more inclusive because everything is online. Um, that's what this technology does, is it will allow us all to be at TED Talks. It will allow us all to be, uh, I guess, at co uh, concerts. You know, there's a whole, all sorts of entertainment applications that I think are quite easy to see. Um, and uh, I've forgotten the name, but the Tom Cruise movie, you know, the, the whole working with the, the screens in front of you. Minority Report, is that the one? That's, yeah, that's the one. Uh, you know, that, that stuff is apparently close um although you'll be just using sneaky little hand gestures rather than sort of sweeping uh screens away with with grand gestures um and i'm very interested by it. i've absolutely no intention of going out and buying one but i'm not certain that that will be true in five years so where are you with it i i don't have a use case for it i see it as a consumption device uh, which means with its price i i don't see how we're going to get there you know most corporations if you have a corporate phone now you've got a five-year-old iphone that is cheap on the corporate market um corporations i don't think want this you know you're you're not on a video call you've got a memoji of you uh basically this version on a video call um, and I, I, I just, I don't really see that this is needed at all. Um, especially for the price, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really having a hard time with it. I can't see, I mean, hell, they can't even get a watch to work properly on my wrist too. Um, with the complexities of eyesight as a glasses were. That's, that's just you, Justin. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's a novelty. I think it'd be cool to put it on and try it and um you know as you say oh look i'm sitting out by a stream well i could just go outside and sit by a stream um i i i don't think it's gonna take off from a financial reason and and just the practicality of it i i i have a hard time seeing what the use case is the burning point of something that can't be done now it's just yes it's nicer it's a fun way to do it. If you can say strapping around with a, a big heavy thing on your head is, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I'm thinking about looking at this is I have the, uh, what do they call them? The air pros, the air pods max. Mm -hmm. And I use my in-ear AirPods more because they're less heavy. Sure. In certain applications, the sound is much better. But if I'm doing chores, I'm unlikely to put the big heavy thing on my head because, well, it's big and it's heavy. And from what I see, mm -hmm. Apple has designed this thing the same way. Yeah. And I think, I think the, you know, the, the, the practicality of the current device, you know, I, I don't think it's up for question. It's not a terribly practical thing. I'm, from, from what we can see, if you actually sort of stand up, walk around the thing on, you're going to A, crash into things, and B, it's not going to work very well. But um, it's it's the promise of it being, you know, rather than the AirPods Max, becoming the AirPods Pro, um, likewise with the Vision. So it becomes a lighter pair of glasses in some way, less intrusive, less 
difficult to wear, less battery problems. All of those things will take time and investment to get to. And iteration. iteration do you, do you think iteration. that will happen? I mean, I, yes. Yes, I do. Because we are still carrying the same general phone, probably bigger, uh, probably in a case, uh, but the same basic design of phones, iPhones, when they came out with in, what was that, 2007? Um, the Apple Watch hasn't changed at all. No, the Apple Watch hasn't. I agree with you. And I think the phone, the um, all of the time, the focus has been on getting more and more functionality, power and battery, battery life into the same form factor, pretty much. You are seeing people experiment with the form factor. Um, and what it tends to be is, you know, folding screens, which brings a whole new set of problems. Um, and thus far, market adoption would seem to be, yeah, you can keep your folding screens, but I really like this Apple thing that can do absolutely everything. I mean, it's, it's essentially a supercomputer in comparison to the computers that you and I first started using. Um, these tiny little things are incredible. I think it will be different with the Vision Pro. Yes, they'll want to increase the technology. And there will always be, I think, a sort of bleeding edge one that is, you know, is almost a helmet. Um, it might even become a helmet, who knows? But I, I think that the essential one or the, the the everyday one, that one that the corporates might be interested, they are going to work on reducing that that form factor. So if you take, you know, things that we talk about, for example, just, um, you know, Pomodoro timer, focus, context switching, you know, getting yourself into the zone, getting rid of distractions. There is a practical application for some AR, VR, mixed reality, spatial computing uh, classes, because you could say, right, I am now going into accountant mode. I am going into writer mode. I am going into uh, consultant mode, whatever it might be. And part of that will be the music that you pipe in through your um, AirPods, will be the background that you put, whether that be mountains or downtown Vancouver or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and the, the set of apps that you have available to you uh, in that virtual world. How the input works, I agree with you. I have no idea. I mean, you know, a virtual keyboard seems weird because, you know, how do you get a response and all that stuff? But I'm I'm certain these things will be worked out. And I'm certain that in the first instances, it will be very hybrid. So you'll be able to have your glasses on and type on a real keyboard. Um, how you make that visible, I don't know. I really don't know. But I think that's where it's going. And I think that's where we will first see, as you say, consumption for sure. Watching a movie, being immersed in a movie, incredible. Immersed in a game, incredible. Um, just exploring a new place. You know, it can be done. There will be people that make apps that do it. You can go and explore the Louvre. You can go and explore um, the La Scala in Milan without, you know, ever leaving the United States. Th those types of things, I think, will, will be sort of no-brainers. But I think also that ability to uh, completely immerse yourself in something, whether it be uh, a particular mode of work or a particular job that you do without moving from your desk. And actually, well, your desk will probably get smaller because you're not going to need a big monitor and all that sort of stuff on it. So I, I think those things will be the stepping stones to getting to where it's, it's going to go. Those will be the initial use cases. But yeah, for sure, I don't think you can wear this for eight hours. I mean, yeah, it'd probably drop off, but 
Um, I mean, you'd have to change a battery three times, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and not the, the technology notwithstanding, because that will get better, as you say. Um, I just I just have a hard time seeing, like, you know, I'm of a certain age, I'm going to admit this on a podcast too, <laughs> where I, I sit down at my big monitor, which is, you know, let's be honest, uh, quite immersive, you know, 32 inches at that distance in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not seeing a lot else if I'm focusing on something, you know. That's, that's kind of sure. most of what I'm looking at. Um, but I have to sit down and I have to change glasses because, well, my readers are, it's just a little too far out of my way and my regular glasses, well, you know, I can't read because it's a little too close. So I have a special spet, a set of spectacles that are my sit at my computer spectacles. And the number of ch- times I have to take those on and off during the day reminds me of just how much one gets up and does other stuff and you know maybe you're walking over to your printer and you don't want to get dizzy so you take them off you walk away. you know these are things that i think are going to be realistic challenges to this idea of being completely in an immersive world you know taking something like that that's glued to your eyeballs basically um, from the way that it looks like it's, it's, it's not that it sits over your eyes like glasses. You put this on and it rests right up against your face. Mm. I'm just seeing, you know, that, that technology. Um, I, I certainly see there are some great use cases that one could have. Um, you know, this, this idea of sitting in a meadow by a stream, but how realistic is it? How much of that is a gimmick that, Sooner or later, you just want to focus on the work and what that will do, what the advantage is, what the killer app is. I'm not sure I've seen it yet. I'm not sure I even have any idea what this will be. I I get that it's a it's a it's a fun thing. Like I'd love to try one of these if they could ever get one that fit my glasses properly. But um, I just I just don't think I see a use case for this, and I don't quite see how it will change. Well, what I would call computing, but really that is work, you know, people working from home, are you going to virtually, you know, give everybody one of these so they can sit next to each other in a cubicle farm? I, I don't get it. Um, you know, I, <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're going to give everybody one of these instead of a laptop. Ultimately, you're not going to do that next year for sure. But ultimately the, the idea of a, of an employee, you, you won't need to be budgeting however many thousands of dollars a year for office space. You won't need to be giving them a computer. You'd be giving them the, the spatial computing device, the glasses. And they'll be working, you know, at their kitchen table, or maybe they'll go and sit in their bed and do it, or, maybe, you know, they'll do a mix of all of those things. All right. Um, and you need them to attend a conference, and they'll just attend it virtually. Sure, the big bosses might still want to meet face-to-face, and there will be... Uh, there'll be times when we when we prefer to meet face to face, but this will add an enormous amount of possibility. How we use that possibility will be, I, I think, as you pointed out, some of the time for 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 worse rather than better. But uh, you know, I I think that Apple is entirely disinterested in displays because it it doesn't see a future in them. Mm. Um, you you won't need a big monitor. Um, and you know, I, I, you you and I have similar setups. You've got the huge monitor. I've got the studio one, but we've both got, you know, monitor stands and 
um, arms and all of the sort of paraphernalia goes with it. You've got cables that have to run everywhere and then UPS connectors and all this sort of stuff. Things that plug into the mains, take it from someone who lives in a country with unreliable electricity, are a pain in the butt because once the, the mains goes, my UPS sort of kicks in and says, shut everything down or you're going to lose it. I mean, that's essentially what happens. Whereas if I'm running on a, an efficient battery-powered um, pair of glasses, yeah, I could just change room. What, the electricity doing what? If I want to work in the living room, I can work there. If I want to work um, uh, you know, by the pool, I can work there. The, the the AI device will, not the AI, the AR, VR device will hopefully control the light that's getting to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are, I, I consider are still possibilities rather than realities. And I think it will take five years for us to see some of the stronger possibilities that this will bring. But I've got no doubt it's coming. Oh, I I'm, don't share your optimism on this one. I just see how the world has changed and now everybody's back in the office or, you know, well, we can't bring you back in the office, so we'll call it hybrid and just bring you back a few days a week. People like offices. You know, that's that's a reality that I, I'm seeing. The idea that this suits you as the employee, um, I, I, don't, I don't see that as much anymore, Stu. I really see in North America this pushback to offices. Um, you know, I, maybe I know I'm certainly lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly able to be where I am, but, uh, yeah, I think most of the things that were remote are now going at least hybrid. And I think over time, the desire to have everybody together, there are some challenges to, to non-in-person interactions. And I'm not sure that a memoji of your face is going to make it any better i don't know yeah but it it won't, it won't be a emoji of your face will it ultimately it won't be that i mean i i agree with you that offices uh sorry companies that have infrastructure and have made investment you know pre-existing companies have all sorts of motives that would feed into a decision about office use and they have all sorts of individuals that work within that company perhaps drive that company rule that company who frankly don't have the tool set to achieve remotely what they've been able to achieve physically. So if you've got a great guy who leads a fantastic team and he's made you lots of money, um, but he's struggling to do that through remote teams, then the first thing that you do as a company is you say, well, let's get rid of the remote teams. Let's get everybody back together because it's an easy win. You've already got all the equipment. The problem, as you've identified, is that the employee pushes back and goes, well, hang on, I'm not interested in a two-hour commute through traffic or you know whatever the, the issues are um maybe i can come back on a on a monday and a wednesday or however these hybrid things are working and i agree with everything you say about that but if you come from the other side and say okay i'm looking to set up a business that's going to disrupt um a segment how am i going to do that or if you're in a um, a business where the motives change so i'm a consultant so if you want me to come and meet you, that's great. That's fine. But you're going to pay. You're going to pay for my time and you're going to pay to get me there. And if you happen to be Justin in, in Canada, I live in Cyprus. It's going to cost you a small fortune to get me there. Uh, and then once I get there, you're going to have to give me a hotel room. Um, you're going to have to feed me. You know, There's a whole expense that's involved. And the minute that that happens, every single client goes, well, you know, 
can we do a video call? Yeah, for sure. Of course we can do a video call. And that suddenly becomes remote working. We're really good at remote working. Why are you taking everybody back to the office? Um, um, because they've got a huge investment in their real estate. They've got a huge investment in the equipment and they've got a management team that has no clue how to replicate what they've done in person remotely. So I think that's what's driving the return to the office. Um, I don't think it's anything to do with um, people liking offices. I don't think anybody likes offices, but I think companies are hugely invested in them. Um, and when they're not invested in them because they either they don't exist or they don't have any of those investments in place yet, then they are very innovative about how they do things. So I do remote audits, I do remote procedure checks, I do all sorts of things remote. Uh, and the reason that the the uptake is so good from the clients is because it saves them money, pure and simple. And those drivers will always be there. You know, you you run businesses, I've run businesses, and if you can make savings and still get results. Fantastic, win-win. Um, and so I think these, you're not going to get the big established companies saying, okay, well, let's just get everybody a set of uh, a Vision Pro or Vision or whatever it's going to be called. Um, but you will get new companies saying, okay, well, let's, let's achieve what we're trying to achieve. Let's set up therapy sessions that use Vision rather than getting people into, you know, white rooms with, you know, nice couches. Because that saves us buying the white rooms with the white couches, then I think you will find that it begins to get purchased. Perhaps. I, I certainly could see there's markets for it in exactly kind of that thing you're talking about where you're a consultant. I, I think, um, you know, if you are the one person on the outside, though, somebody's just going to do it by video call. They're not going to invest in that. Um, in In many cases, yes, there are a few businesses that could really work on this, you know, Tech, well, they've got unlimited budget, it seems, and will do things like this. Um, but mm -hmm. I think for most traditional businesses, I, I have a much harder time for that. And the reality is that most people work a traditional business. You know, I, I may be a little more focused on my own, uh, where I live and what I see. But, uh, you know, there, there are less and less full-time remote workers in organizations that's, that support that. I just see that there is a trend away from that. Maybe it was inefficient. Maybe there's a lack of, you know, communication, um, ideas, flow of information. I certainly see that in my own business and, and see some of the downsides of it. Um, but in, in certain cases, I think it's there. Um, I'm just having a hard time seeing that this would not be an additional tool in a toolbox rather than changing entirely how we how we get there you know i'm, I'm looking at things like i was i was trying to turn off some lights the other day and uh, my lady in the tube decided that what she really wanted to do was launch an app that barked at me um, instead of turning my bar off uh, she decided to start barking and this I've lived with for 10 years of this virtual assistant, maybe. Um, and it still can't get the basics right. Uh, the one on my watch, the one mm -hmm. on my phone. Oh, it's even worse. Um, I was in my wife's car last night. She has a uh, CarPlay. And she can send text messages via voice, which uh, she was texting our daughter. And... 
the Siri voice repeats what my wife just said in this inflection deaf um, voice. You know, it was it was so bad. The pauses were wrong. It didn't even repeat exactly what she, what my wife had said. Um, and then she sent it, and God knows what the what the um, punctuation was like in it. But afterwards, the voice comes on, and this really cheery, happy voice says, "Done." And I just almost <laughs> smacked the, the computer screen inside the car. It was the most annoying sound that I'd ever heard. But um, So my wife sends me text messages using Siri. And um, we often refer to each other as amore, which means love in Italian. So, so she starts her text message, hey, amore, which Siri invariably translates as, hi, mate. So, so I get these text messages from my wife that begin, hi, mate. <laughs> Oh, the dog's in, I'm coming home. And it just it's, it thinks of some sort of Cockney market trader coming home. Um, but yeah, I, you, look, you know, all of those things, I think everybody listening uh, is, has experienced those, and I experience them just as much, and they frustrate me just as much too. But I do recognise that they, they will go. Those problems will lessen. Um, probably not in the time frame that I would demand or the time frame that I think I've paid for, but... Uh, they will. Um, uh, if you compare um, the power of those those tools now to what they were when they were introduced, it's a huge leap forward. And perhaps that's what's spoiling us. And we're we're expecting everything to be you know great in ten years. I suppose in terms of generating all of the machine learning and algorithms that that are required to make these things work 10 years is a drop in the ocean i guess yeah and i i I think you've just got to really think a lot further out for these changes to really make any difference you know sort of in my working lifetime i can't see that this is going to be a big change you know it's not going to be the the landslide of change that let's say an iphone introduction was um you know maybe i'm wrong hopefully i'll live to see that but um I, i don't know I'm a little less optimistic than Stu. How about uh, ML? Uh, well, what everybody calls AI now, but it's not AI. It's machine hmm. learning. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, basically, I was, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, thinking about this show coming up. And, and basically, ChatGPT is the modern day version of Clippy. Sure. You know, it's it's it can write stuff for you. It can do certain things that it has learned on. It can't necessarily understand whether it's right or whether it's wrong. I think there's still a gap between machine learning, um, you know, which is, what was that quote? Uh, An infinite amount of time and an infinite amount of monkeys on an infinite amount of typewriters will eventually recreate the works of Shakespeare. The complete works of William Shakespeare, yeah. Um, You know, I, I think that's where ML is at the moment. It's just, it's generating a lot of stuff and there are cases where it may be good. Um, but I just have a hard time. I, I think we still have a jump to AI and until we get there, I don't think the utility that this is promising will be there. I think what it is, it's not going to be a fundamental change. It's going to be again, kind of like I look at the, the headset, it's going to be another tool in your toolkit. In some cases, in some jobs, you'll be able to get more use out of this. 
in others you won't be able to um it's a very good spell checker it it writes nicely um but you still have to check your facts and you know writing blocks of code what's it learning on what are these learning models based on you know at some point these are going to be recursive they're going to be learning upon themselves so mistakes will get um built in and you know i i just i see that this is the popular thing this has kind of got uh it's taken up the mantle the mantle from blockchain and uh, you and i both more financial people than perhaps computer people uh have always well i've always looked at bitcoin and kind of went okay i i understand why people like the promise of making money but the numbers don't justify it sure. and i'm certainly feel a little bit that these ml models these large learning models at the moment that we have chat gpt all the rest of those are following along in that they're popular they're hip they will have use much like uh, i've used grammarly for years and that's kind of a similar version of this uh, on, on a much lower level um, I just have a hard time seeing how this is really going to change the way we work. Uh, Stu, do you have any better thoughts than that? Because you're you're the eternal optimist, apparently, and I'm just a grumpy old bugger. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think machine learning um, is incredibly powerful. Um, it's going to be extremely useful. It's a great building block for uh, artificial intelligence, as you say. But, I mean, it isn't artificial intelligence. The the issue like you've correct, correctly identified in my view is that um, it's it's essentially uh, an algorithm. It's a database, and the more that you throw into it, the more it will throw out. Regrettably, there isn't an infinite amount of text out there, so there is only one complete works of Shakespeare. Sure, there are some other very good writers too. And you can feed all of that, everything that's ever been written, you can feed that into a machine learning database. We'll call it that for the sake of argument. Um, and it will, it will learn to a certain extent from that. However, there's nothing else for it to learn from except the stuff that's coming out of the other end. And as you say, that just becomes recursive. And the machine that doesn't really know what it's doing, but through essentially the laws of probability writes things then gets lots of things that have been written by the laws of probability and tries to learn from them and learns and learns and learns and learns and it just becomes well, what they used to call garbage in garbage out mm. and so i think it'll be interesting to see the impact it has on language because uh humans will adapt to differentiate themselves from machine learning um it, you want your blog post to read differently and that will then confuse the machine learning even more so i think there's all sorts of challenges with that um and as you say the reality is that grammarly has been around forever text expander expanders around forever and these are things that can be really really useful and help automate a lot of things that that companies do and the vast majority of companies don't use them yeah because right now they, they consider it easier just to get uh, Dave a desk uh, in an expensive office, put Dave in front of it and shout at him until he does exactly what it is you want. And it 
takes you back to the previous conversation about companies uh, sometimes not being great at adapting. Um, so I think it will have a huge impact. Uh, it's it's nice. It's exciting what it does now. It's started some great debate about uh, what, what actually AI means. Um, and I think it's useful if people learn the difference between AI and machine learning. Um, but yeah, I, I, all of these things will become more and more prevalent in our lives and they will have more and more applications within our lives. But they're probably going to be applications at, at a greater level of abstraction. You know, the, the Vision Pro is probably a way for Justin to give his next TED Talk remotely. He can wander around his house, but he can appear on the stage at TED and as a, as a hologram and everybody can watch. And that in that will be machine learning and the Vision Pro, all of that technology will be there. But from the point of view of, of Justin, he will probably walk around in his office and, and create that, that talk and the technology will turn it into something that can be shared in person and remotely all at the same time. I think that's where it's all going. And it's it's not all going to happen next week. Mm, I agree. All right. What do you take away, Stu? Anything? Uh, look, it's coming. <laughs> Ready or not, uh, these changes are coming. Uh, I think be eager for them. Be uh, be excited about them. But be skeptical. Um, take a little a little tab of uh of justin and say okay well how is this actually going to work for me how is this going to work for what i do how is this going to help me mm. good good idea take take some advice from justin no don't do that don't do that <laughs> uh, i i was thinking about this and i think you know what it's going to do all of these to me are tools to take some of the routine things off your plate they're going to help you in certain ways so you don't have to necessarily fly to your next corporate head office meeting or whatever that is um, but I think what my takeaway is continue to seek the advantages of human cognition. You know, the difference between us is that we think we can put pieces together. We can put abstracts together that a lot of this stuff isn't there yet. Maybe it'll get there, but I think looking at these tools, building them into your tool set and figuring out a way to use them to your advantage to make you, to make the best of you as a thinking human is where your advantages are going to be. So, you know, there'll, there'll be changes as, as Stu says, it's coming ready or not. Um, but use them to your advantage. All right, Stu, where are you this week on the internet? You got a blog post out with some pictures. Hurrah! Yes, indeed. Yeah, the ink. Um, so yeah, you can find my writing at stuartlennon.com. Um, and well, unusually for me, there are actually some photos on the last post of my tattoo that we've been talking about. Um, you can find my, uh, anti-money laundering stuff. Why would you want to, uh, at limeconsulting.com, or you can find some lovely stationery, um, pens, paper, ink, notebooks, all of that sort of stuff at nerosnotes.co.uk. Um, or you could drop Justin and I an email at stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Yeah. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Um, I'm generally been quiet. I've been hanging around drinking wine in a vineyard. I, I haven't been online very much, and that's a good thing. Uh, you can find me, justintwyfer.com. Uh, by the time this comes out, you should be able to see my latest wine adventure and some of the scenery on YouTube at Beyond Your Front Door. 
Uh, please take a moment to like and review us on your podcast catch your choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues. Our next topic is how do you balance consumption versus creation? Hot topic. Ooh. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.